Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mixed Dandelions podcast, where we talk about being mixed military and moving on. Um, One of the things that I think um, we really think about a lot when we think about military families is moving around a lot. But I think something that maybe gets pushed aside a little bit is the kids having to change schools a lot. So today's guest, Maurice, is going to talk about that with me today. So welcome, Maurice. Thanks for coming on. Hey, hey. thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, Maurice and I sort of go way back. He was friends with my little sister. So it's been a few decades <laughs> since we've seen each other. Um, yeah. So why don't you start off? Maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, just a little introduction. Yeah. So um, I've been actually after moving away from Okinawa, where we met um, and I knew your sister uh, back in 94, I moved back to California because that's where my dad was from. But he actually retired from the place that I uh, was born, which is Barstow, California, which most people don't know what the heck Barstow is. Um, But after that, I came to California and then we migrated up here to Sacramento. So I've been in Sacramento since then. Um, This is sort of familiar territory for me. It's my home. Um, I have a wife who I've been with forever, a high school sweethearts, uh, and I also have uh, two wonderful kids, uh, 13 and 11. And I'm here to stay in the Sacramento area. I'm actually a public relations manager here for a local government um, and been doing public relations for more than 20 plus years now. Well, congratulations to all of that. It sounds great. My kids are similar age. They're um uh how old are my kids now <laughs> 10 and 12 so oh, yeah. <laughs> be, yeah almost 11 and 13 so fun ages right <laughs> those hormones those teenage yes hormones. yes it's just getting more fun <laughs> um so why don't you tell us a little bit about your um racial and ethnic background how do you self-identify racially and ethnically Yeah, so I'm um, actually African-American and Filipino. Uh, My dad's black uh, and my mom is Filipino. And they actually met when my dad was in the service uh, in the Philippines. Um, I actually, thankfully, right, when I do applications or everything, I I relish the opportunity to be able to put both black Mm -hmm. and Filipino or Asian. Um, But I oftentimes when people meet me, they assume that I'm just African-American or sometimes they don't even know what the hell I am, frankly. Um, I get that question a lot, but I identify as African-American predominantly, um, but I usually always put in and Filipino because I like to celebrate both of those ethnicities and um, it's my identity. Right. Yeah. Me like it's funny, those um, like you mentioned, the forms and everything. And I love putting both. And even for my kids, when I have to fill it out for my kids, I love like doing that multi or other or something. And it still amazes me how there's a lot of forms that don't give that other option. It's yeah. So um, and then that's when I just have fun with it. <laughs> and I just, kids, they're like a quarter black, quarter Filipino and half white. And so I'd be curious to see, in fact, I didn't ask them, like, how do they identify? Because they look more brown and more Filipino. Um, but it'd be curious to see as they grow up and having to fill out those forms, what they're going to do. Right. Well, hopefully there'll be the, the other option a little bit more Absolutely. for them. Um, so who, um, so your dad was in the military. What branch was he in? He was in the Marines. Okay. Hardcore. <laughs> your dad was too, right? No, our, I know everybody. Um, thinks that he was because we went to Kubasaki, but we were Air Force. 
Yes. So we were Air Force and we only were at Kubasaki and Camp Foster because there was no E-9 housing and he was an E-9. So the Foster Towers had just, I guess, opened up or something. And um, so then we got that E-9. It was either E-9 housing on Camp Foster or living off base. So he wanted to live on base. All these years, yeah. I thought we were separate too. No. <laughs> nope. it was it was it was an experience I mean when I'm glad that we went through but yeah like no and even when we first when he found out we were going to move to Camp Foster like the first thing he told me because I was 16 or almost 16 he was like you're not allowed to talk to Marines and I'm like yeah gonna be hard on a Marine Corps base so <laughs> yeah you're surrounded by them yeah so we'll see yeah no but it was fun I'm glad yeah but everybody thinks we're Marine Corps or Navy and I like, I always assume that all of the friends I made there, the majority are Marine Corps families. And yeah, most of them are. So if they say something else, I'm usually surprised by that. Yeah, that's but, funny. Yep. So um, why don't you, what kinds of, where did you live growing up in the military? You know, I didn't, um, unlike many of the people that I grew up with, um, we didn't move around nearly as much, um, right? When we think about military, it's like, Hey, every three years, we're going to be out of here. We just knew mm-hmm. that was sort of the, the, the cadence, if you will, of how uh, our lifestyle was. Uh, but before I was born, my parents did a stint in uh, mainland Japan. Um, and then when I was born, I was predominantly in SoCal. We moved to South Carolina because uh, there's a military base there. I have vague memories of that. And I was like, you know, two, one, two, three years old then. Yeah. Moved back to Foster, or to Barstow for like seven years. Oh, wow. Um, and went to Okinawa for three and a half years. I wish we would have stayed longer, but I'm also thankful with the outcome. So I didn't move around nearly as much as many other military brats, but you know, I had my fair share. Um, when I was in Okinawa, I was able to travel a little bit to like the Philippines and Korea. So um, I have a yearn- yearning to go back though. Um, yes. one of days. Yeah. Yeah. We've been back a couple of times, but I mean, yeah, you always just want to stay longer because it's just such a great great place to be. Um, so how many schools do you think you've attended in this, in that time? Um, golly, uh, one, two, three, four, the uh, gosh, maybe like six, which is not a lot, right. Comparatively, but the hardest part was, um, transitioning during high school, which with emotions and teenage angst and going, bouncing around to different environments. I think that was probably one of the hardest times in my life, not hard in that, like it was not interim. It was, it was certainly um, doable, but it was definitely hard um, that first year of high school. It was challenging. Yeah. So you had, I think in our previous conversations, you had mentioned um, three high schools in just a short amount of time. So why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. So um, I actually I went to Kubasaki. I'm wondering if it was like three or four weeks. It must have been around a month. But at the time I was living at Kui Lodge during while going to ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to go to school, right? Because we were not at that point. We were leaving and uh, departing. Um, so I spent my time there. My parents were trying to extend, but for whatever reason, it did not occur. So I went to actually elementary school in Okinawa, middle school in Okinawa, and then uh, about three or four weeks of high school. So I had like built relationships. I had people that I interacted with. They were my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, um, once we moved to back to California and I came up to Sacramento, I went to a school I was living with, we were living with our grandparents at the time. Um, so I went to a high school and I didn't, I thought, okay, yeah, this is the high school I'll be graduating from. And next thing you know, my parents found a house that they could rent 
um, near a military base uh, in another part of town of Sacramento. Um, and that's where I ended up going for the remainder of my high school career. So you go from, you know, Okinawa, DOD school, um, very different culture to going to mm -hmm. another school where it was incredibly and predominantly white. Um, and then you get transplant or uprooted and then transplanted to a high school where incredibly diverse. And I really enjoyed my time there, but it was, it was diverse just because of the community that we lived in, but there was also military families there because there was a nearby Air Force base. Um, but it was in a socioeconomic depressed area. So that was a culture shock. So you go from like DOD school, culture, military brat, uh, to a predominantly white school and you sometimes being the only colored person in there or the only black person there to um, a multicultural school that was a public school and it just had its inherent issues just being where it was located. So as a result of that, there was just a lot of like cultural shock and cultural identity issues that sort of fled your mind on like, okay, what is normal? And, and normal was very abnormal. Were there a lot of military um, dependents that went to either of those stateside schools that you were talking about? No, the only one was, um, so McClellan Air Force Base, which has since closed. So the, the, the final high school that I went to, there were some, but it was mm -hmm. not that predominant. There was a nearby uh, high school down the road, maybe about three miles, um, but next to it was military housing. So a lot of those folks went to that high school. And so there okay. was maybe, uh, maybe a couple handfuls of people that might have gone um, to the high school that I ended up graduating from. Oh, wow. Okay. So how do you... Um... How did you, uh, I guess, navigate through all of that, making friends and just trying to settle in? And did you know, too, I guess, that when you went to that um, high school after Kubasaki, that first stateside high school, did you know that that was probably going to be sh very short term or? No, because, you know, I didn't know what my parents were going to do at the time. They were trying to look for a home um, near my grandparents or probably within uh, the the boundaries of that high school that I ended up going to first. So it was kind of a shock to me in that, like I was there, I don't remember the time frame, but it felt longer than a month. It felt like maybe a month and a half where I was able to, my brother and I went there um, and, and I was able to establish some friendships there. Um, so it was a shock to me. And you hear stories of like, oh, you're going to that high school. Oh, it's so bad. So I'm just like, what's coming in your mind when you're like, no, this high school's fine. It's cool. Um, there was some reminiscence of like some of the people that I met there that were kind of fit the cultural norms of what I remembered at Kubasaki. So mm -hmm. that just got uprooted once we went from that initial high school to the high school that I ended up. So no, I, I didn't know. And at that point, I didn't know what to expect, right? You don't know what you don't know. But once you're there, um, that, that first year of ninth grade was hard because I was, in, I'm very social with individuals. Um, and I like, the level of connectivity you have with friendships. Right. Um, and then when you're in high school, one, you're a freshman, you're trying to figure out who you are. There's a, a flood of emotions. And then on top of that, you go from like being very social to not having any friends whatsoever. So that alone was very, very hard. My first year of high school was tough, even though my brother went there and I was able to interact with him. You know, he's two years older than me. Um, so we had different set of friends and it, it got easier over time. And by 10th grade, it was fine. But that first year, you know, you're walking the halls alone, you're going to lunch alone, you start to make friendships, but they're not the same friendships that you might have wanted, or you're losing, um, or you're missing the friendships that you had before the established relationships. So all that was in my mind. And I just remember it just being like, just, I wouldn't say miserable. It just felt very lonely that first year. 
Yeah. How did you go about making friends and I guess like fitting in? Did you join any clubs or sports? Were you were you there long enough to do that? Eventually I did. So in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, like I had my set of friends and it just felt very normal. I don't remember how that came about in ninth grade. I just started interacting with people in class, but a lot of them, I didn't feel like I fit in. Right. Cause you're going right. from like a school, a military school. We know, you know, it's hard to articulate um, the life of being at a public school versus a DOD school. And then you mentioned it right early on that being on Okinawa, it forced you to sort of make this connection because you were among many Americans and outside of that, um, it was uh, the Okinawan culture. So it, mm-hmm. it forced you to build that level of connectivity that you wouldn't otherwise maybe. Um, and so that, it was just a lot of just cultural shock. Um, and I, I didn't feel like I can connect. And it's funny because on some, I, I'm on some Okinawa brats group, I think for, on Facebook and people articulated that same level of like, even though they're the same makeup of people, um, even though you fit in, the, the that transition from DOD school to a public school was hard because the cultural norms were different. The way you spoke was different. The way you dressed was different, right? All these different things that on the surface, you don't necessarily see it, but when you're sort of in it, it mm-hmm. is different and it's hard because you're like missing what you had. You're trying to fit in and then you have this, a level of emotion as a, a high school, as a teen, that was just hard, you know? Um, and it's hard to articulate it, but you get it. You're military. Oh, guy. I, yes. <laughs> I can, you know, I completely get it. And I didn't, I went from a public school that did have a lot of um, military dependence yeah. in Southern Illinois. And then we moved to Okinawa and it was different, but then we came back and we moved to an area that didn't have, there was, I mean, really, there was no military community in the area we retired in, but Karen, she had to switch high schools. So I know that that was a very difficult transition for her as well. And especially when you don't have that. And I think just in, um, but even like, um, you know, the, yes, those cliques and those groups and those organizations and the friends groups, and you've got, you know, yes, friends who have been, grew up together. There's that aspect, but then you've got like also like everything, you know, in the U.S., it's very um, segregated or divided. And in the yes. military, like at Kubasaki, like something that will probably be spoken a lot of, you know, in this podcast with Kubasaki and Okinawa being so big in my life is just that like everybody knew everybody, everybody hung out with everybody. Like we said, it was a community. And even though there were maybe some separate groups, we still all would like, you know, we're all hanging out at gate two at the at other places. <laughs> We shouldn't have been at. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we're at the parks or something or at the beach. Like we were still all there. And, you know, yeah, like the staters were hanging out with jocks and jocks were hanging out with the smokers. And, you know, I think racially and ethnically, too, those are, you know, big things that identify a group or that bring together a group. And so I think for like people like us who are mixed race, that can sometimes, you know, depending on who the people are in that school. So do you think that being mixed race and then what you, you know, being, I guess, you know, the term multifacial, you know, being able to um, like people not quite knowing what you are, do you think that helped or hindered in you settling in or fitting in or making friends at different schools? Yeah, well, I'll say this, you know, because it's just like, you know, how, how do you be by how how did what's your experience being biracial in um, the military? And I, and I was just thinking, like, 
whether positives or they're negatives. And in, in my estimation, I think it was incredibly positive because inherent in being in the military, you have all these different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, and then just ethnicity. So there's just this sort of this conglomeration of all these different things that I think right. allowed it to be a benefit to being biracial. Because you hear stories about um, people, um, and it might happen, right? There, there's this sort of rosy glasses mentality that we had being that young and innocent that we probably didn't see everything, um, mm-hmm. especially some of the bad things. But I would say, and all of the interactions that I had, all my friends, and I was even thinking about my early time being in Barstow, like my best friend was Filipino. Um, looking at photos from Western Middle School, it was a hodgepodge of different people. Like you had African-Americans, you had Caucasians, you had Asians. Um, it was just, it, it didn't, race was not necessarily an issue. I mean, there were times, there was one particular time, because I lived um, on Camp Courtney in the tower, and I remember this kid, I must have been 10 or 11, where he used the N-word. And at that point, I didn't... I didn't understand the gravity of it. I just knew that that was not the right thing. So that was the only experience where I thought, and he probably didn't even know what it right. meant. Probably. The ramifications of that particular word or the, the sort of the history, the deep-rooted history behind that particular word. Um, that was the only time, but beyond that, um, and even my mom, I, I would think culturally it helped her out because, you know, she's straight from the Philippines, but there are many Filipinos in the military. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people like me who were Filipino and black in the military. So it was definitely a norm, but moving outside of that, I would say the first high school I went to was predominantly white. It felt somewhat segregated. There was a population there that were African-American. Um, and I got to know some of those folks as well. Um, but there was definitely a divide. It was not this sort of this, this mixture of different people backgrounds, much like you see in DOD schools. Um, and then moving along to my, ultimately my, where I graduated high school, it felt very similar in that there was a lot of backgrounds, a lot of socioeconomic uh, backgrounds coming together, ethnicities. That's at a time where, you know, you would get people like um, a very Eastern European community um, that didn't speak a lot of English. So there was a lot of those types of people too. So it, it felt very familiar in that regard. But then the disconnect was, is that um, the, the, the depressed area of, and the nature of um, where I went to school, where it was just, you, you had incredibly poor people that went to this school. So that was a dynamic that played out that you ne- didn't necessarily see in the military. So um, very, very diverse from all different spectrums um, and, and definitely caused me to think and pause and reflect on what this means, what it, what it means to me. And I think it made me a better person actually going to that particular high school in the end. Okay. So why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? Like, how did you navigate your own multiracial identity in the schools? And in the end, I guess, now looking back, what would you, what do you, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts about it? You know, I, I embrace diversity. I, I celebrate all different sides of humanity. Um, and that's what I truly appreciate about being right biracial. I am so glad that I am right. Because um, you can take bits and pieces of the different culture, right? Like yes. my mom, can make uh, a mean fried chicken, but she can also cook some chicken adobo as well. So having those, the blend of different foods, I mean, that, that's a staple in our lives, right? Food is a staple in what we, what we do every single day. And that is just emblematic of why I absolutely love being biracial, but navigating through that, I didn't, I didn't necessarily see it until I went off to college. So I went to college locally here in the Sacramento area. It's UC Davis, really renowned national school, public school. 
Um, but you didn't, and I, and I kind of saw it actually in the first high school where, and even in my workplace now, like I'm, I'm primed to just kind of look at a group. Like if I'm in a meeting or if I'm in lecture at the time being in college, I kind of scan the room and try to determine like who, what the makeup is. And I don't think all people do that if they're not, um, of another ethnicity or not the predominant or, or if they are the predominant ethnicity, but automatically I kind of like cherry pick. Okay, yeah, there's one dude there. He's African-American or she's African-American or she's Asian or so I, I scan the room and it, it's just eye opening to me that um, even though we are diverse as a country, there are still moments in different institutions where you are standing out because of the color of your skin. Right. So I didn't feel that way in high school until I went to this high school where, you know, I'm in a room full of three people. I'm, on, I'm the only black dude sitting in the room. I'm just like, this is weird to me and not weird, bad. It's just a moment where you're like, okay, this is just, why is it like this? It shouldn't be like this, especially coming from the military. Cause like you walk in a room, you just see all colors. Um, and that's what I'm used to. Um, and even in the workplace now, I don't get to see that level of diversity too. So um, it, it puts into question like, okay, what can we do to be my, more diverse, um, in, inclusive and, and, and be very equitable in, in how we operate as a society. So that's always in the back of my mind. And even as I um, raise my kids who are way more um, ethnically diverse than I am, I try to institute that into their thinking too. And then they see it. Um, they see the different colors and the different dynamics of culture and whatnot. So I find it very fascinating. I think they're open to it more than we were probably growing up. And then even our forefathers prior to that. I agree. I think, um, especially in the schools and what we're seeing on social media and everything, I think um, race and ethnicity and like segregation division, I think that that's all, I guess, being introduced to kids a little bit yeah. younger. Um I mean, my kids are, they could probably pass for being white, but we live in a majority Hispanic area. Their last names are Hispanic. Um, I pass for being Hispanic. Like people often think that I'm Hispanic and um, are very surprised when I'm not. <laughs> and, um, you know, and there's been times where, yeah, like in school, like kids have said things to my kids and they don't quite understand it, but then they also know that like, oh, well, they, they'll ask questions or two. I remember, yeah, the first time I remember hearing the N word was in Southern Illinois and I was in junior high and um, somebody said it to my friend who was African-American and she just looked like she looked horrified and she started crying. And so I went off on the kid. I didn't know what that word meant, though, because that's not something that I grew up hearing. And yep. um, so I went off. And then when I got home, I asked my mom, I was like, hey, what does this word mean? And I said it and she smacked me <laughs> and was like, you don't ever say that word. That's a horrible word. And I have never like that stuck with me, her smacking me across the face <laughs> for saying that word. And I was like, I don't know what it means. I'm just trying to figure that's why I'm asking you, because someone said it and to my friend and she looked sad. So I went off on the kid and I was just wondering why she was sad. I didn't want to ask her. And and that's when it was probably, I think, seventh grade. And um, but I think that and I think it's great, though, that like it is starting to schools are talking about these things a little bit more. And wow. um, I think there's also yes. And I think it's great that people are talking more about being mixed race and being multifacial so that people can understand it's not an either or thing. No. Right. Do and you I think? think yeah. We 
for the longest time it was like an either or and I'm like no right. I like I like both so well that yeah I remember in school too like in seventh grade went in southern Illinois and we would take those standardized tests and it was a public yeah. school and um I went home and I was like hey so I asked my dad I was like what do I mark on this thing it says to mark your race and I can only choose one and he's like well you have to choose white because I'm white and yep. I was like um I'm not really happy with that answer you know I'm not because then I felt like I was denying my mother and like who my mother was. And I was like, and I'm a part of both of you. So I was like, I'm not satisfied with that. And, um, and then even in the schools, it's like, as you get older through the schools, well, no, you got to pick, which one are you? Are you white or are you Japanese? Oh, well, then you're not really Japanese or, but you don't look white. So you're not really white. And um, I think in, I felt like in some schools that could be especially in the non-DOD schools, that was sometimes hard to navigate through. Yeah. But in the DOD schools, it's a lot easier. I think so. And I think, you know, one of the aspects that, and it's irrespective, and I don't know if it's necessarily sort of a differentiator between DOD schools and and, uh, public schools, but then this whole notion of like, um, not only just looking and having that identity crisis, but then just how you speak too, right? Because mm-hmm. the whole notion of like cold switch, switching um, or sort of denying that people referencing like you're not black enough, or I, I heard that more than not being Filipino enough because the surface, the fa- the physical features of how I look, the color of my skin sort of leans more towards mm-hmm. identifying me as black. So that that played a role into sort of my thinking and how I grew up and now I'm embracing it like this is how I sound um I'm, I mean certainly there are certain like dialects depending on the different uh, pockets of the communities that you are exposed to there might speak a little bit differently but um, that whole notion of you not being black enough or you don't sound black is very interesting to me still today and sometimes I still get that which is I find that very odd that that's still a thing, but I understand that's how sort of people group different things and how people think about things and have to compartmentalize. So mm-hmm. uh, I understand that too, but it's, 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 it's weird. It's just funny to me, but I don't think I would have experienced that in the DOD schools. Cause I don't ever remember someone talking like an ethnicity. Right. 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 Well, it's funny too. Cause I remember, so we lived in England before, um, it was two duty stations before Okinawa the second time. So, um, and when we came back, so I was fourth, fifth, and sixth grade in England. So then we moved to Southern Illinois from there. And like, I, you sort of pick up when you're living in an international country, you pick up certain sounds and accents. And when we came back, Karen, I think especially had like a little bit of a stronger British accent. And so people were like, you sound funny. And then we moved to Okinawa and we picked up a little bit of that Southern Illinois accent. And then, you know, we moved from Okinawa and they're like, why are you like enunciating your words a lot? Yes. Yes. So I think you pick up. And so that's really, I think that's difficult too, like for any kind of like person who moves around a lot that you pick up little things from each place that you live in. And even in the States, like, cause you know, people speak differently. They have different accents everywhere in the States. And so when you've lived somewhere for a while, you start to pick up on that. So it's like, how are you supposed to sound? I know (laughs) know. it's bizarre to me um, that, that we, that that is a thing, but I understand where people are coming from too. Like I don't think it's purposefully or done willfully to be mean, 
Um, I think we all kind of categorize certain things or like group people in certain aspects, but it's like up to us to then reconciliate that and then, and just be mindful of it, but don't reference it always, you know? Right. So. Um, so with changing schools, um, did you have a favorite school? <laughs> well, I mean, no, that's, well, that's a hard question to uh, answer only because like today, thank God for social media. Cause once I found my space oh. and then that was that sort of the, the start of finding people that I remember mm-hmm. from looking out and I'm like, I would never see them ever again, but thank God for social media and the, the uh, advent of social media. But I, I enjoyed my time in Okinawa, and I don't know if it's necessary the school. Um, there is just a special place uh, that you can't articulate the why behind why you love it so much. There's yeah. this level of infatuation that only us who live there understand it. And we don't even have to say too many words about why. you just like, no, dude, I get it. So I truly, that it's near and dear to my heart. I think about some of the friendships and the experiences, even, you know, 25 plus years later, um, and so I, I truly miss the environment there. So I would say that would be my favorite, but you know, the, the graduating from the school I went to allowed me to go to college, allowed me to meet my wife. I have a wonderful life and wonderful kids. Um, so that's my favorite too. Um, I, you kind of, kind of sort of pick out the benefit of each and the positive of each. And there's, I wouldn't change the experience at all, sort of the navigation and the migration of where I've been, um, especially during the high school years, but I miss Okinawa. Yeah, that sort of answers, I guess I was going to ask about like, um, like moving around and did it have more positive or negative, but it sounds like it was definitely much more positive for you because I agree, you sort of got to pick out those like positive things and you make the best of it. And yeah, I think from moving around, it just allows you to have so many different experiences, even if it was hard, it's still things that made you you and you can always like find something positive that came out of that. Um, and then, yeah, I think a lot, everybody I've spoken to, Okinawa is definitely, like, it's just something special, right? It's, yeah. yeah, no matter how old you were, as long as you can, like, remember it, I guess, and no matter what grade you were in, if you were middle school, high school, Kadena, Kubasaki, you know, whatever, like, yeah, I think um, it just shows, though, how special it is, <laughs> it I is. think. Yeah. And I, and I'm proud to be a military brat because of those experiences, right? Like I think it definitely rounds you. Um, it, it gives you a little bit of a different thinking and perspective and not many people have the opportunity for most of their childhood um, to be able to live in different places and also live in places that you wouldn't fathom living like an right. international location or a place like Japan or Okinawa, right? When you're on this island, um, it's sort of, you take it for granted, but reflecting back, I'm like, there's some things in there where I'm like, okay, that particular moment or that particular incident or experience made me who I am today. So I think because of that, uh, I think we have sort of an advantage uh, being a military brat over many others. And I don't mean to sound that like um, of anyone else. It's just different for us. Um, and we see the world differently, I think, as a result. I agree. I agree. Um, So you mentioned social media, too, and like reconnecting with friends. So this is something for me. I'm glad we didn't have social media and Internet when we were growing up. I think that 
Yes, it would have been fun to keep in touch with friends. You know, I remember, um, you know, you write the snail mail. We had to write letters. I wrote letters to a couple teachers or like friends. But then you sort of lose touch. And I think now it's great social media with the Facebook groups. And we can like reconnect with certain people and find certain people. But I'll be honest, I'm I'm actually glad. I think changing schools and just like living, being a teenager was hard enough without having internet and, you know, social media. So what's your opinion on that? I mean, because it was hard to keep in touch with friends, but yeah, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I'm glad we don't, we didn't live in a social media world because while there are positives, there's a lot of negatives, especially mm-hmm. growing up in an age where there's social media and not being able to disconnect at that age. And I think you need to have that separation with that for sure. And especially with my kids living through it, I'm like, I am glad uh, the the level of documentation that you see are just the bullying. So I'm like, no, thank you. Yes. On that. But, you know, as we've, we grow and we want to continue to foster those relationships and keep in touch. And I'm, when I say keep in touch, I mean, like, I'm glad I can just go on social media and see like a post that's happened about someone that I knew of way back when. So it's just like, they're sort of there in the background but you want them there in the background because it's sort mm-hmm. of that blanket of familiarity. Um, and because of social media, I don't know how many, like if I look at like uh, any of my family members or any like mutual friends that have grew up in Okinawa, I mean, the, the mutual connections is huge. I mean, mm-hmm. some, sometimes in the numbers of like a hundred people that we all keep have connected with because of, of being on Okinawa. So I think that alone, that level of connectivity is important to me because it brings back what's so familiar and vivid in my mind. Cause I still have vivid memories of certain things that happened on Okinawa. So yeah, it allows me, me to sort of reconnect in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise. Right. Cause snail mail. Yeah. We do the pen pal thing. We put a photo in there. Like and it sounds very strange. And so like non-tech, but that's what we would do, right. To keep in touch. And then that would fizzle off. And with social media, it kind of fizzles off, but it doesn't really because they're in the background. And I know that they're there. So that alone, in my mind, is a benefit. So, yeah, we used to, I mean, that's when we printed up school pictures, right? That you would take <laughs> and you'd pass them out to everybody. And then I think too that community of um, even if you didn't go to the school at the same time, like you still have there's still some kind of a familiarity. There's that community still of we've all experienced certain things and we all went to that school and um, and it's just it's just fun to because I just did um, I did a podcast with um, or an episode with another person um, with the Shannon show and he talks about he went to Kubasaki. Um, nice but left, I think, in his sophomore, junior year. But it is, it's like, there's still a, oh yeah, like, yeah, we did that. Or no, we didn't do that. Or, you know, Senior Hill, yeah, that's still there. Or just, you know, and then the fun things that you did. And, um, but I think that that's great too about what with the social media now as an adult. <laughs> but, yeah, it's used for is. good, not evil, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> for the like, most part. Yeah, and there are things where, I'm like, I don't remember that. That was probably when my brothers went mm-hmm. there or when they, their, their kid, their, their sort of social network of people or people that they hung out with. So, um, and, and there's people there who, after I left, they became friends with the friends that I knew. And so it's just like, I even have people on my Facebook where I'm like, I don't know if we were on the same island at the same time, but we're connected somehow, I think. Right. You know? well, so, there's, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. 
there's people that I have to, I'll go back to the yearbook and I'm like, do I know them? Did I know them? But then we have like 20 friends in common or something. So I'm like, all right, they must be, it's got to be connected to Kubasaki High School in some way or Kadena High School in some way. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, I can't say enough about that, but it's just, yeah, it's a great thing, I yeah. think. Um, so what do you think is stuck with you most about just moving around, changing schools? Um, do you have any other um, lessons or skills maybe or anything that you've learned along the way that maybe you haven't already chatted about? Yeah, I think, I mean, as I mentioned, uh, it was a great experience. I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but I think every moment of when I moved or experiencing different people that I wouldn't otherwise have experienced, like I said, has given me an advantage um, it makes me appreciate humanity as a whole. Um, and so that, that's, I think, what I take from it. Um, and there's just some long-lasting relationships where we might not talk every day. Uh, we might not see each other every day, especially not in person because we're all scattered around the world. Uh, but just knowing that um, me, among many other people who had the opportunity to be a military brat, we have all something in common. So that alone, mm -hmm. that level of connectivity, especially living in Japan and Okinawa, um, it's pretty amazing. Um, and I'm glad we we're able to talk here today because it's bringing out back some really, really good memories. So, yes, it's always fun to reminisce, I think, um, especially as something as wonderful as Okinawa. Yeah. Um, um, so what kind of advice do you think you'd give to kids who do have to who are in the military and have to change schools in um, either changing schools or a lot or changing from that DOD to uh, public school, what kind of advice would you give them? I think first and foremost, it's just like, well, and, and when you're, when you're at a certain age, right, you don't sort of reflect on this, but sort of the power of being in the military and, and being exposed to so many people and, and living in some really awesome places. I think taking a step back and then just like relishing and embracing where you are and, and, and taking it all in, because it comes and it goes so damn quickly, right? Being on an island for three and a half years seems long, but it wasn't at all, just like a blip on the radar screen. But I would also say this is like, um, there, there's a level of fear and angst um, when you do move and transition and try to make new friends and all that's normal. That's part of the process. Um, that's what you are gonna have to do being a military brat. And there's nothing that you can do to uh, change that. So it's just almost like embracing it, knowing that it does get better, knowing that you're gonna make connections um, that it's going to be hard and that hard doesn't mean horrible. It just means different. Um, so I'd say embracing where you live, embracing the, the relationships. Um, and as, as we talked about with social media, it's like, it's not by every three years. It's just sort of being in that background and knowing that's okay too. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's what I would tell anyone is that, uh, it's not hard. It's not horrible. There are times where it just feels that way. Um, but in the end, it, it actually makes you a better person having sort of this viewpoint that many others don't get to see or experience. So would you add anything to that um, advice, um, which is great advice. I think I completely agree. Um, it is. It's just different. And that's OK. I think different is OK. And you can definitely learn from different. Um, but any um, like mixed race children who are having to change schools a lot and move around, would you add anything um, to that advice, helping them? Um, like navigating their own identity, changing schools and the perceptions from the outside world? Yeah, I think leaning into um, like 
for me, right, I went to a high school where there weren't other military brats. But if you're in the great fortune of, of landing from being sort of a dot school to public uh, public school where there's military brats there, they all are feeling and thinking the same thing. So just being having those courageous conversations at that age, having courageous conversations is hard. Um, but sometimes putting yourself out there so that you can relate and sort of um, compare notes and understand everyone's going the same are feeling and thinking the same thing um, as a military rat when they have to change schools, which means they're changing cultures. I would also say that just sort of seeing and observing um, and finding where there's some familiarity um, and, and relishing in that, but knowing that different is okay too. Um, you're gonna have to shift your thinking. You're gonna have to shift, I wouldn't say who you are, but perhaps temporarily you have to sort of, um, I, I call it like make a ripple, not a splash, kind of ease into it. And then you'll find common ground with people. I mean, you often do, especially if you play sports, um, if you have certain things in common, that just takes time, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, trees don't bear fruit overnight, nor do relationships. And because of that, uh, just being persistent. Um, and then also being biracial, I, I would think that, um, you know, you might go to a school that might be predominantly white. Um, that that alone shouldn't um, dissuade you from making those relationships. Um, it, it might be an issue or not, um, but just owning it and understanding it, being open-minded about it, uh, and knowing that it might have be a cultural shock at first, but that shock will start to dissipate over time. And I, and I think it did for me. Like, I don't remember there was like a moment in time, especially going to the last high school where I'm like, um, I feel comfortable now. Like today is a good day. It's just mm -hmm. sort of in and each day gets better. Um, and even if you're dealing with where you go from sort of multicultural, uh, sort of this melting pot, pot, of, pot of a school, something that's more dominantly skewed one ethnicity, um, you still have those connections. There's still things that you're, uh, you can um, surround yourself that are familiar and you guys, people like to do. Uh, things uh, that are familiar. And so just finding those, those groups of people where sort of what you're meeting on is not necessarily the color of your skin, obviously, but you're meeting on things that um, you all like or, or commonplace. So um, like, like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. Because, um, and I mean, that's kind of what makes people friends, right. And yeah. those, those relationships are those things in common. It's not that you look alike or whatever. Right. It's just that it's what you guys enjoy doing and what can you talk about? What can you do together and what do you enjoy doing together? So I think that that's great advice and just looking past that first layer. So opening yeah. the book, so to speak. So I know great. And at that age is it's hard for that's us to tough. make introductions, mm -hmm. right? Even today, sometimes like I'm not going up to that person to introduce myself, but once you do, mm -hmm. it just opens up a whole opportunity to get to know this person just by saying, hi, my name is Maurice. What's your mm -hmm. name? And just learning. And that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I started this is just hoping that people are going to be more open-minded and to just learn and to grow. And I think, yeah, looking past that first, what the person looks like on the outside and getting to know them um, and taking that time, like you said, courageous discussions and those courageous yeah. relationships. It is, it does take a little bit of courage to do that because it can be very intimidating, but yeah, I think that's great. Um, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Just, yeah, thanks for coming on. Perfect. <laughs>